You're now listening to The Co-op Podcast on thecoalition.com. This is Gary A. Swaby, and you're now listening to the Co-op Podcast, episode 218. And um, Mr. Richard Bailey is at PAX West today. So, um, you know, he may or may not join us later, but um, I'm going to guess he might not make it because, you know, he is out and about doing things. Uh, but shouts to Mr. Richard Bailey Jr. He'll be back next week to let us know, you know, how things were at PAX West. But um, I am here with Mr. Jake James Lugo. How you doing, JJ? I'm doing good. I've been very busy. That's why I haven't been on the last like two episodes practically. So I've been doing a lot of stuff here. So, but I'm ready to talk some games. Yeah, you've been away for a while. Uh, people have been asking about you, but it's good to have you back. Uh, we're also joined by Mr. Max Moller. How you doing, Max? I'm doing good. Happy to be back on the show for another week. Good to have you back, man. And we're also here with Miss Dana Abercrombie. How you doing, Dana? Hello, everyone. Yay. <laughs> Yay, indeed. Okay, yeah, so uh, lots to talk about this week. But of course, we're going to get straight into the What We've Been Playing segment. So uh, I'm going to go to you first, Dana. Um, let us know what you've been playing. Oh, me. Okay. So I've been playing some Call of Duty, the beta, World War Two. Um, I found it to be okay. I'm sorry. Like, I was never a really big Call of Duty fan. You know, like those fans is like, oh my God, it's a new game. And you have to rush out and get day one and you're really excited about it. I used to be, but over the years, I'm just like meh to it. But, um, it's okay. Um, I think that, um, it's not something that is going to make me want to spend money on it it's not something that i would go out of my way to recommend or even give to someone on the holidays unless i have like a free game and it's like you have nothing else to play here's some call of duty but i just really wasn't a really big fan of it i have the beta is ending soon but i just found that the graphics wasn't that great the connection sometimes was a little you know funky but then again i do have time warner cable in in america which is like you know not the worst of the worst but it's it's right there with being one of the worst um the sound, the, the sound was okay. You know, the guns was great. The speed of the game, I really liked it. It's like, it's, for me, it was like fast paced. I, I liked some of it, but overall, it's just meh. So I spent my time being meh. And then I had to like, you know, refresh my, my gaming juices with some Sonic Mania. Cool. Um, and I know that we actually was watching some Sonic Mania gameplay last night with a, Miss to- Mr. Tony Polongo, who was playing it, uh, would you say that you know this has brought you know Sonic back to his former go- glory? Yes and no. Yes, I think that it has hit two notes wonderfully. It has introduced new fans to Sonic, people who you know have not grown up with with you know Sonic and Knuckles and Sonic Three and all these different Sonic games. Like I've grown up with those games, so for me. It's a different feel. To me, it's like, this is nostalgia. This is how you 
bring back a franchise. This is also how you pay tribute to the past while making something your own and new and creative. So I respect it in that aspect for what it's done. I'm not going to say that it's like, oh my gosh, now we have to start paying attention to the Sonic franchise because we do have Sonic Forces coming out, which if you check the site, The Coalition, I did an interview with and I talk about, you know, some aspects of the game and I'm able to communicate with, you know, some people who are responsible for the game. But the thing is, is that I don't know much information about it. I haven't sat down to really play it, play it. So I'm kind of like, I'm happy for Sonic Mania. I very much am. But overall with the franchise, I have no idea what they plan on going on with it. And for me right now, Sonic Forces is a little too iffy for me to be fully happy and fully invested in the franchise. So I'm going to say that Sonic Mania does what it needs to do for for the present and for the past games. It kind of apologizes for the past, especially with Sonic Boom, which I have no idea still to this day what the heck they was trying to do with that game. So I'm 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 less, you know, um positive going forward. But I will say that I'm interested in seeing whether or not they screw up the franchise with Sonic Forces, but I am appreciative, very much so, of Sonic Mania and what it has done for both people of the present and the past. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I definitely want to um, try out Sonic Mania at some point. Uh, it's just a case of when I'll get around to it. Um, how about you, uh, Mr. Jake James Lugo? What have you been playing this week? So I have a lot to kind of, you know, cover because I've been playing a lot of games, not just for pleasure, not just for like on my off time, but I have been playing some games for work, which I'm going to get into in just a bit. But to kind of bounce off a little bit of what Dana kind of touched on, I too also played Sonic Mania. I really like it. As someone who's grew, grown up with Sonic over the years, with Sonic 1 being the very first game I ever played, I have to say I really like what they did with Sonic Mania. I love the soundtrack. I love how the gameplay feels a little bit much more fine-tuned to be like how it was back on the Mega Drive or on the Sega CD. But uh, overall, I think the game is great. I think it's really, really fun. And everybody should play it, whether you get it on PlayStation 4 or if you even get it on the Nintendo Switch because it's available on the Switch. People can play that portably, and it's an awesome game. It's just, if you like Sonic, this is the game that you're going to want to pick up like immediately. Uh, besides that, to get into more pressing matters, uh, I too also played the Call of Duty World War II beta. Uh, I don't I don't think I dislike it as much as what Dana dislikes it with, but I do think that there needs to be a lot of adjustments done to the game thus far. Remember, it's still in beta form. There still needs to be a lot of stuff that they need to do, not just with the single-player campaign stuff, but also a lot more adjustments with the multiplayer, particularly the spawns, particularly the, the hit detection for some of the bullets and the guns, the damage output for a lot of the guns. I feel like some of the guns, especially as you level up and you start getting uh, more attachments and also start leveling up the different uh soldier classes because what they have this time around is that you have different types of like soldiers or uh or i guess you could say like not leagues but like different organizations within the army or at least within the different factions that they have for call of duty world war ii where you can level up based on using different uh abilities or at least gaining different abilities and uh, using different factions at all the multiplayer matches that you're a part of and as you start to use them more, you gain more abilities from them. Like you start to gain be uh, the ability to sprint faster, the the ability to pick up uh, extra ammo from dead bodies from other players, uh, the, the the increased map size, or just different people appearing on the map from further away, uh, things like that. And I feel like it really favors 
a lot of the people that spent a lot of time with it and there's such a big divide between new players and older players it's always been like that to some extent with call of duty but this one i feel it's a little bit more so because the longer that you play the stronger that you get and the more you could just steamroll on another team especially if they have like you know more than one or two extra new players that are part of their team within the matchup so that could get a little bit annoying and then obviously there is the issues with the connections i still think that the way that they have stuff online is particularly because i played it on playstation 4 i don't know about people on other platforms but from what i experienced there was a lot of times where clearly the other team or one team or another would be uh you know be able to do a lot more things more frequently a lot more easier and be able to win matches easier uh because of the connection issues like either somebody being the host or somebody on the opposite team just having a terrible connection for one reason or another even if it's like you know despite being in like a specific location or something but it would influence the matchup heavily and it would kind of suck for a lot of the other people that were involved because you can only do so much in the face of like you know connection issues so things like that can get very very annoying besides that i'm still going here yeah it's pretty crazy but um besides Uh, that i I did have a question about call of duty for okay yeah sure for you and dana before you move on um so yeah uh, I did speak to someone, uh, someone I know who, who did play the Call of Duty beta and they told me that, you know, that this is probably one of the better Call of Duties gameplay wise, but, um, she feels like it's, it's the actual people that play it that kind of ruin it. And it's the fact that, um, Activision kind of, um, makes the game, um, you know, with those kind of players in mind. So we're talking, you know, the campers. And you know people who who play like that instead of the, the people who 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 are good at shooting and you know good at being tactical in, in these types of games and take it you know a bit more seriously, they instead cater to the casuals and you know the people who like to camp and you know um, spawn camp and all that sort of thing. So would you say that's accurate of uh, what you played of Call of Duty? Uh, Danny, you want to take that one first? Yeah, I'm going to have to say that that's a bit more accurate because I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I kind of suck and I'm okay with, with myself being kind of sucky. So compared to the other games, I do find it a bit more easier. So I can understand that perspective and I'm going to have to probably agree. I don't think that I have improved that much, you know, from now to the previous game unless, you know, Jesus performed a miracle. So I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I would have to say... Partially. I I would have to say partially that I agree with that. And the only reason why I say that is because I feel like every single Call of Duty game since Modern Warfare 1, it's been like that. And there's a lot of abusable things. There's a lot of things that could be exploited, not just with the spawning. And and I think that's a huge part of it, or at least a a good chunk of a lot of the issues that this one has. But I think also with not only the quick scoping, that's always been part of Call of Duty. That's always been almost kind of like a mechanic in the way that Activision treats it. And it really favors, again, more going towards that action movie uh, hero mentality as far as like, you know, you're like a super soldier or everybody's like a super soldier, but you die so easily. That's how everybody is. But the the main thing about it is that there's a lot of different aspects besides that type of stuff that could just be exploited and it could be exploited heavily and really influence the matchups. And there's not much you could do about it unless you know how to get around it or you know how to exploit other things, you know, to kind of combat stuff like that. So overall, in that vein, it's still very similar to the other multiplayer modes of other Call of Duty games. I think that the Call of Duty game however need to be defined more so by their single player experiences and the value that they offer as a total package rather than just solely just the multiplayer experience because i for perfect example the last call of duty game that came out infinite warfare that i reviewed for the site i felt that was still a great game it was still a great package despite me still having my gripes with the multiplayer 
even though like it was still primarily still the same exact thing that we've expected throughout the years. And the main reason being and why Activision handles it like that is because there's a majority of people that out there that buy Call of Duty strictly just for the multiplayer and they enjoy the way it is. So if it's not broken, or at least in, in that vein where to them, not broken being like if it's not selling or at least it's still selling a, a lot of uh, units out there why even bother messing with it if people clearly like it and they're still buying it i mean that, that, at least i could understand that mentality but overall then yeah i would say i partially agree with that but well, i have a question though wouldn't you feel that that kind of cuts out people who may want to try the game but they don't technically like multiplayer why not I don't find I, a no i'm sorry no, I was going to say, like, I don't think Activision really cares about it because the majority of people that do play Call of Duty or the majority of people that are buying Call of Duty aren't that player. They're, they're the most that type of player that you described, which is like people like us out there, people that are into the industry that follow a lot of FPSs. Those people are probably playing games like Overwatch or they're probably playing games or looking towards playing games like Unreal Tournament or on or anything of the sort that's different that doesn't have the gung ho mentality of Call of Duty. Or at least, you know, those are the same type of people that are going to be playing Destiny next week. Like, that's that type of crowd. And I don't think Activision is really actively going after that crowd because they have all these other people that are just are completely different than them that still buy their games yearly that still buy their games in bulk you know probably multiple copies for one household those are the type of people that they care about because those are the people that are spending money on that franchise okay so if they say for example if they never did change and make it more inclusive for a single player and multiplayer and all that stuff would that do you feel that that would make the series feel like less original and, and and more you know trying to like fake instead of staying to its roots honestly i don't even think call of duty's really been staying to its roots for like a long time ever since modern warfare came out because remember call of duty's roots is world war ii or, or yeah for the most part world war ii games especially when it was back on pc and even on the original playstation or ps2 uh even now them going back to world war ii as far as like an aesthetic which is really a response to battlefield battlefield one going kind of going back to that original uh was it or at least that older war rather than taking place in the modern day it still feels like the more modern uh call of duty games it's still has a lot of those aspects that have been popular since the last couple games have come out because that's what sells and i feel like if they did change it 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 would get a lot of backlash by the people that are buying it every single year that are buying it constantly multiple times within a given year those are the people that really activision cares about and i don't think that they want to really do much you know to change things up because that's their steady stream of revenue that's that steady stream of people that are constantly going to always buy their game that's their audience and that's their crowd that they really care about if they did it's still going to get praise from people like us it's still going to get praise from the fps aficionados out there which is good because a lot of those people still claim that Call of Duty isn't back in its heyday and it's not kind of like going back to its roots like you said but I don't think Activision really cares they they have if they want that type of style of game if they want a different type of first person shooter that's that's outside of the realm of what Call of Duty's offering now they have Destiny like they have other games for the, those types of people to go for yeah I mean money talks so you know um, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said you know um, Call of Duty's roots are back you know in its heyday on the ps2 and and um you know pc and everything and it was more single player focused back then as well but once modern warfare came out it just changed everything and you know now this is what call of duty is you know that changed and the industry they're gonna keep yeah it, it it did it changed a lot it changed the entire um fps you know landscape pretty much so it was definitely a big deal. And back then, I believe the games actually were good, in my opinion. But, you know, 
um, since then it's just kind of become watered down and generic um, unfortunately and that's why you know I'm not particularly interested in getting back into Call of Duty myself um, and I feel there are better um, FPS experiences out there but I'm not knocking those who do like Call of Duty because there is always potential there I think um, but yeah uh, carry on JJ what else have you been playing so so there's two other main things I want to touch or three technically because they're very short with the exception of one uh, that I want to touch on that are very important so number one I did the review for Yakuza Kiwami not too long ago which again if you like the Yakuza games you're definitely going to want to check out Yakuza Kiwami it's a remake of the original Yakuza that was back on PlayStation 2 and they announced also that they're doing the same thing with Yakuza 2 as well and they're pretty sh- I'm pretty sure they're going to do Yakuza 3 so you're going to have an entire trilogy of Yakuza Kiwami games that are just remakes of those original uh, games back in the day but added with more content or at least you know uh, a subtle amount of extra content with like a complete visual overhaul and a lot of the newer elements from the more recent Yakuza games like Yakuza 5 and the eventual Yakuza 6 coming out that get implemented into those remakes so that's pretty cool I gave it around a 70 I want to say because I felt that was a fair score because Again, it, there's a lot of archaic stuff within that game, even though it's still getting reimagined for the modern day. But I don't think it was as good as Yakuza 5, and I don't think it's going to be as good as Yakuza 0 or uh, Yakuza 6, for that matter. That was another game. Again, you can find the review now on the Coalition website, so check it out when you guys can. Uh, the other games that I've been messing around with, I actually got a chance to be into the Dissidia NT beta. Now, if you remember, Gary, we were at E3. We got to play Dissidia NT, Dissidia Final Fantasy. That was dope. Uh, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, Right now, the beta that's out now, which is ending tomorrow as of we're recording this uh, co-op podcast episode, um, it has about 14 characters that you can mess around with. They're all heroes. You don't have any of the villains, or the villain characters that are in there and included, but they will be in the final release of the game. One thing I will say about this beta, Square Enix needs to know how to do better betas. I feel like they need to do whatever it is they have to do on the back end. They have to, be- they have to do better matchmaking. They have to have uh, more stable connections because the lag in the Dissidia beta is ridiculous. Like, it not only takes a long time sometimes to get matched up with people, but once you're in a matchup, the, the lag and the slowdown is absolutely insane. It's it's borderline unplayable in some cases. Wow. Uh, I just want to say that um, Richard also got to play Dissidia NT at PAX West, and he actually said that he really liked it, and that surprised me that, you know, Richard is actually enjoying a Final Fantasy game. So um, I'm looking forward to playing playing more of that. Yeah, and, and the thing is, the game is awesome. Like, we played it at E3, me and you together, and, like, it was really dope. Like, it's a great game, and it's very fast-paced, and it's a bigger improvement upon the original PSP games that were both Dissidia and Dissidia Duodecim. However, though, if this game's going to be online, which is what really the big selling point for this game is going to be on PS4, they really need to do something about those online connections. They really do. Or at least, besides working on that, make sure that that single-player content, that single-player story, like what the Dissidia games really provide, is really really on point because that's going to be a huge factor in a lot of reviews I could foresee when this game comes out eventually next year. But uh, I spent some time with that and that's ending very, very soon. It's actually ending tonight, I want to say. Besides that, however, the big game that I really want to talk about that luckily enough, we were able to, to get a copy for review, which my review will be up next week, not this coming week, but next week for the 12th is when the embargo lifts up, but Metroid Samus returns on 3DS. Now, 
I can't say much about the game because of the embargo and stuff, but I can't comment to give like my offhand impressions of like the first few couple hours of the game. I played a lot more than that, but I can only comment on so much. Uh, Metroid Samus Returns is really good. So thus far, I've been really enjoying what I've been seeing thus far. It's a remake of Metroid uh, 2 Return of Samus or Samus Returns, whatever you want to call it. But it's a remake of that Game Boy game. Uh, and you could definitely see that this game thus far despite all the influences and the inspiration from that original Game Boy game, this feels like a completely new Metroid game. It feels like a fresh uh, Metroid experience that we've been wanting for a very long time. A lot of people have been clamoring for a 2D Metroid ever since, like, you know, God knows when, ever since Other End came out way back when, and everybody thought that game wasn't all that great. And a lot, despite people being really upset with Metroid Federation Force, I think now, once this game drops, the, the franchise has made a good uh, resurgence or made a good comeback, because not only are we going to get Metroid Prime 4 on Nintendo switch but we also have 2d metrics so we're getting the belt best of both worlds right now and this i hope at least sells well enough or at least it, it does well enough with a lot of people picking up for their nintendo 3ds that uh was it nintendo sees a lot of the potential here and actually decides to do a, a brand new original continuation of the series after this so Overall, it feels like old school Metroid, even though it has a 2.5D or Nintendo 3DS 3D model uh, aesthetic to it, which I think works for this remake. It, a lot of the stuff on screen just looks very, very good. Uh, the way that it's polished up, even though it's not phenomenal looking compared to like what it could have been uh, if it was actually put on Nintendo Switch. You know, at least a lot of people besides myself feel like this game could have should have also come to Nintendo Switch. But for what we got right now, from what I've seen for the first couple of hours, it's very, very good. And I think a lot of people are going to be very excited, especially if you're a Metroid fan and you've been wanting this series to come back for a while. You're going to have a lot of good stuff to look forward to when the game drops uh, later this month. So those are that's what I've been playing. I know I've been uh, talking a lot. I've been playing a lot of games, so had a lot to get through. Yeah, that is a lot of games. Um, how about you, Mr. Max Muller? What have you been playing? Well, this week I've been playing the normal Rocket League and a little bit of Halo 5 sprinkled in. Um, I've also been playing through uh, Bayonetta because that recently came out in the games with gold. So I've been playing through that and really enjoying it. i just about finished with that. But the game I really want to talk about is this game by uh, Greybox, the guys that made Rime. Um They have this open beta for a game right now called Dreadnought. It's on PC and PS4. And it's a space shooter where it kind of reminds me of like the original Battlefront 2 kind of space battles if those were really fleshed out and kind of designed a whole game around that. It's not as versatile in that you can get out of ships and fight on like the carriers and everything like that. It's pure ship combat and it's focused more on like heavier carriers like really big dreadnoughts and stuff. It's not so much small like TIE fighters and X-wings flying around doing dogfights. While there's a little bit of that still much more of a focus on the bigger and it's being designed to be sort of an esports game it's similar to overwatch except it's 8v8 but in that it has a bunch of different ship classes that you can specify in and that you need to match up with your team if you want to win you'll have your sniper classes or your assault classes or your dog fighting or your tanks and stuff that and of course your medics and you kind of need to team up and plan out with your team how you're going to take out the enemy team it takes place on these maps let them look straight of like beyond good and evil 2 concept art which is really really cool in my opinion but, um and basically most of the modes in there are sort of deathmatch modes right now but basically you have these maps that you can go all around in like up, down, left, right, and try and take out the enemy team in mostly deathmatch modes. 
includes one of the things that I really like about it is that there's so much going on at any time. Like when you're flying your ship, you have four cooldown skills that you can use, like homing torpedoes, missiles, or like jump drives to either escape or get into battle. But alongside that, you also have this distribute into either shields when you're in mid so like you could be rushing after someone with your thrusters on but suddenly they turn around and start coming at you with another mate so then you have to decide to distribute that energy either into shields or weapons but at the same time it's going to run out there and so you have to watch it and kind of be careful with it to make sure you're using it right so that you don't die and then you're also trying to target these enemies and call teammates to help you out and it ends up getting really strategic and it looks a lot it's really a lot more complex than it looks and it's still really early on and there's still a lot of content they kind of have to add into the game. But I think that in terms of esports, this could really be something that works. You know, obviously we'll have to see. And originally when I saw footage of the game and hearing that they wanted to make an esport, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? But spending some time with it, I think it really could go that way. It's a bit heavy on microtransactions right now. Like those who spend a lot of money in the game definitely have better ships and weapons but the thing is you can get all those things with a lot of time spent it's just those that bought in are getting there quicker and it's kind of weird especially because it's an open beta right now i wouldn't want to be spending money in a beta but there are people that are doing that right now but it's a really cool game so far and i'm excited to see where it goes and once it comes out sounds interesting um so was that it was that all Yes, that's pretty much what I've been playing this week. Okay, that's cool. Um, as for me, I've I've been playing Overwatch, of course. I don't even need to talk about that. Um, and I also finally finished Persona Five. Um, and that took forever to to complete. And there were so many times where I thought um the game was over, but it just kept going and going, uh, which wasn't a bad thing because you know. It's just giving you more and more um, storyline and story content and everything. So I wasn't complaining, but it did, you know, there there was a lot of times where I thought, you know, um, the story was just going to end off and then it just kind of kept going. So, like, I I was just sat there playing it for, like, hours trying to finish it. But um, it was good. It was really good. And I even actually started a new playthrough um, just to kind of max out some of the the friendships and the, the, the confidant relationships in the game. But um, yeah, really enjoyed that game. And I even charged up my PlayStation VR to to play Persona 4 because, you know, that's the only platform you can play that game on. So I wanted to go back and um, check out Persona 4 as well. Um, and so far that game is good, but I, I kind of think, and maybe JJ can back me up here because I know you've played a lot more of them than I have. But um, I think that Persona 4 is, I mean, Persona 5, sorry, is a lot, like, deeper in, in terms of the storytelling than Persona 4. Like, it seems like Persona 4 is a lot more lighthearted and, you know, kind of slapstick as well, kind of. But uh, what do you think about that, JJ? Overall, to be honest with you, I mean, it, it really comes down to your personal preference because when when you get down to it, Persona 5 has a lot more darker moments, I believe. Uh, I mean, they all have like their dark overtones and their dark moments and dark uh, special like, you know, gameplay sections. But really, you, you have to play through all of them to really kind of like really look at and experience like what each one has to offer. I feel like as far as soundtrack is concerned, 
which is what really stands out to me with all these games. Uh, you could go back and forth between Persona 4 and Persona 5. It's Again, it's all personal preference thing. As far as like overall, which games are just handled better and delivered as better packages and stuff, uh, Persona 4 Golden makes a very strong case, but I still feel like Persona 5 is a better game. It's just that the way that everything flows in that game, the way that everything's presented, the way that the, the visual presentation of even the most mundane things, I feel like works uh, a little bit better. And it feels like, you know, the penultimate evolution of that series thus far, especially as a as one that's gonna make that's made such a big splash here in the states compared to what the other games had to do, or what the other games were doing, you know, as that series was germinating and actually becoming what it is now. Okay, would you say there's like a turning point in Persona Four where it actually gets a lot more deeper, kind of like Persona Five? You, you mean deeper? Like, you mean deeper in the storytelling or deeper in the gameplay elements? Uh, deeper in the storytelling because um i don't know how many hours in i am but like i'm still kind of early into the game and you know it just seems like really like light-hearted and um just not as intricate like the storytelling isn't as intricate as persona 5 like i felt like um it gripped me a lot more um in the early uh... parts of persona 5 I want to say for Persona 4, I mean, once you have all your party members, or at least once you get to the point where you almost have all your party members, is when it really starts to kick into overdrive. I mean, all the games, for some part, have somewhat of a slow burn buildup, especially because there's a lot to get through. There's a lot of things that get set up, and it all comes back around eventually at some point or another throughout the course of the rest of the, like, the, the mid to late game. But uh, again, it, it really comes down to personal preference. I mean, if you enjoy Persona 5, I still think you could enjoy Persona 4, uh, especially if you go through uh, that game for an extended period of time. Persona 4 Golden in specific, because I feel like that's the version of the game, that's the, the ultimate version of that game right now. And it, it kind of adjusts a few things a little bit more so for the better over the original version that was on PS2. So I, I would say it's like, keep going. And, and eventually, once you get to that point where you have most of your party members, if not everybody that's already included, or at least, you know, that shows up in the opening, I guess you could say. Uh, that's when things really start to take a turn for the much better overall for that game. But overall, the game itself is just still fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the gameplay is definitely still there in Persona 4. Um, I guess I just got to play it a bit more um, so that it, you know, kind of kind of gets me invested into it. But we'll see. Uh, that's pretty much all I've been playing this week, though. But... Um, we're going to get talking about next week because, of course, one of the, the biggest games of the year that people have been looking forward to is coming out uh, this Wednesday. I, I believe it comes out the same day everywhere, um, you know, in the UK and the US, and that's Destiny 2. So I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know, who here is going to be getting Destiny 2 on day one and how much are you looking forward to it? And obviously, what platform are you getting it for? So, Max, I assume that you're getting it on Xbox. Are you picking it up this week? Yes, sir. Um, I wasn't, I still wasn't entirely sold on it. And then I got a text from my brother, and he's like, because you know how we do that game sharing thing? He's like, I just bought Destiny 2, pay me half. So I was like, okay, I know I'm going to play it, so I'll pay him half. So, yes, I guess I am getting it. But I am, I am looking forward to it. It's something that... I was probably going to wait until I got reviews on, but since it's already here and I didn't have to pay a full 60, I figured even if I don't love it, it's definitely worth 30 bucks out of my pocket. So yeah, it's something I'm going to jump on to and see how it is. At least play through the story, you know, and hope that it's an improvement over the first game. You know, we shared our thoughts on what we want it to be a lot here. 
But um, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. I'm going to go in hoping for the best and expecting better. Cool. And did you, I can't remember, but did you play the beta that, that was out a while ago? Yep. Yeah. And I finished it in like, what, an hour and a half, all the content in it. Um, and then I also was able to try out the multiplayer at E3, which is where I played most of it. And then I just played like a match or two in the beta as well, but it was the same thing. So I already knew what I was expecting and I just wanted to wait until full release. Okay, so like when you, um, does the beta carry anything over to the actual game or like do you play those segments again when you actually get the game? I'm pretty sure you have to play through it again. I know that's what they did with the first game too, but again, you really only played the first story mission and one strike. So you're really not replaying too much content there. So it's not a big deal in my opinion. Okay. Um, And how about you, JJ? Well, Dana, you go first because I know I might be a little bit longer. Dana, are you going to be picking up Destiny at any point? Okay. Dana, you're muted, by the way. Oh, not next. That's that's no, not right now. It's it's great, but it's not worth my sixty dollars right now. And I'm an only child, so I can't go half. So, I'm I'm I'll wait a little bit later. (laughs) But but yeah, so. That I'm, I'm afraid of like oh everybody's all hyped about it and everything you know what I mean and then when you finally get the actual game and then it's like such a, a downfall and you're like it's not really worth it so I'm gonna wait until the hype blows over so in my case I'm actually gonna be getting it tomorrow because uh, Activision is actually gonna send it over to us it's going out to all the media outlets that are gonna be reviewing the game as of tomorrow as far as like the codes you know, and, and versions of the game that are going to go out first. So I'll have it starting tomorrow and then play it throughout the entirety of the week leading up to release. We also have another thing that's going up on the website on the 5th that I actually did from when I went to the Destiny 2 event over in uh, in Washington. Uh, I was able to check out the game early uh, with uh, Bungie and Activision. So if you haven't seen my preview that we have on the site night right now, the, the EDZ gameplay, make sure you guys do so. But the reason why that's important is because I, uh, most of the game, I think at this point, I probably played through maybe 80% of the game, I want to say, as far as the single-player campaign, minus like some of the extra big multiplayer and co-op content that's going to be a big deal this week. Um, so I'm going to be playing it on PlayStation 4. That's where, where the actual platform I'm going to be reviewing it. So it might take a little bit of time because I'm going to have to play through all that campaign stuff all over again because none of our stuff is going to transfer over and nothing does transfer over from the beta whatsoever. Even the PC beta is the same thing because I know the PC beta was not too long ago. Um, yeah, but overall, like week. yeah, exactly. It was like right there. And uh, overall, I, I just think I, I'm looking forward to it because, again, I spent a lot of time with the game. Uh, I'm going to be pretty damn critical with it, you know, based on some of the stuff that I've already seen, but also some of the other stuff that I haven't got a chance to really dive into yet or stuff that I haven't really been able to kind of openly talk about. So definitely look forward to what we're going to be having. We're going to do a podcast discussion more than likely this week at some point after the embargo, but also as the game comes out. So definitely a lot to look forward to with Destiny 2. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to get a sense of, you know, um, who's picking it up and the excitement level because to me it seems like the, the excitement level isn't you know as high as it was for the first destiny um, around the time you know that was coming out but um, I guess that's just because everybody now is like so drained by um, you know all the expansions with the the original destiny um, so they're kind of just waiting to see what this destiny will bring 
Um, but I do believe that the excitement level will raise higher one, you know, um, like Monday and Tuesday, the days before prior to, um, the release and everything. So we'll see. And, um, people are still putting pressure on me to get it on, uh, the PS4 as well. Shouts to Fergus Mills because, you know, <laughs> he's, he's in the chat right now telling me that I have to get it on the PS4. But, um, I got a comment I'm still on that. thinking about it. I got a comment on that because I know a lot of people have been talking about whether getting it on PS4 or on PC. I think that more than likely between those two versions, obviously, I feel like the PS4 version is going to be the one that sells the most. But I think you're still going to get that hardcore dedicated fan base on PC, especially with the people that are not only accustomed to playing with mouse and keyboard, but also I think that the people that are going to want to be competitive uh, with the Crucible, or at least, you know, really want to kind of go all out with uh, PvP in that game, are going to probably be more than likely on the PC platform. And then you're going to see a lot more co-op stuff with, like, the Nightfalls, the Raids, and all this other stuff on PlayStation 4. But I'll be interesting to see, like, how the numbers stack up once the game is already out, out for, like, maybe, like, a month or so. Yeah, that's true. And I was reading the game has full controller support as well. So those who still want to like be playing with a controller and who prefer that, they can still be playing it just like they would on a console, but only prettier. So you're really you're really getting full choices here. Yeah, I mean, it, it considering it's an online social kind of game, it does make more sense to get it on PS4 just because I have more friends there who will be playing it, but. Um, I do have, you know, a, a few friends that are going to be playing on PC. Um, but I, you know, I would assume that I would have to eventually, um, you know, make new friends with people online as well. So I'm hoping that the, the PC community will be good in the sense that, you know, you can actually, you know, make new friends and run raids together and stuff like that. Um, and it should be, you know, cause there are some, some good communities. On, good online communities on uh, the PC so uh, that's what I'm hoping I, I may end up getting it on both platforms to be honest because I feel like um, once Wednesday rolls around the pressure is going to be on me and um, the Keep temptation it's going to be a big you know, deal it's going to be a big deal this week because of the nightfall and the raid that already has a date so especially if you get it on PS4 or if you end up getting it on both like that you're going to have a lot of stuff to do yeah true yeah, and yeah, if that. if that cross network play ever becomes a thing, ever becomes reality, you may regret getting it on or not on PS4 as well. If you don't end up getting it, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's that's very true, and uh, we're we're definitely going to touch on that a bit more later as well. But um, yeah, that's it for Destiny Two. Just wanted to see what uh, the general consensus was. But um, JJ, I'm gonna uh, gonna be calling on you for this topic um that we're transitioning to so nintendo um they actually spoke a lot about their nindies platform um and it seems very promising so you know i wanted to ask you um you know what was revealed about the service and which games we can expect on there at the moment well Basically, that entire Nintendo Direct presentation was basically indie games that are coming to the Nintendo Switch, which is a good thing. It, it expands the, the Nintendo Switch's library outside of the first party and the third party AAA titles that are going to be on the platform now or are going to be coming to the platform very soon. Um, there were some standout announcements. There were some interesting ones, but I have a full list here of just some of the games that they talked about that are coming both early 2018 and also some of them coming at the end of 2017, you know, for the holidays and stuff. So we got Super Meat Boy Forever. We got Shovel Knight 
King of Cards, Mom Hid My Game, Golf Story, Four Floor Kids, Wolverblade, Polybridge, Kentucky Wrote Zero TV Edition, Earth Atlantis, Next Up Hero, SteamWorld Dig 2, uh, Maluka, uh, YOLO and Celestial Elephants, Dragon Marked for Death, uh, Battle Chief Brigade, Mor- Morphe's Law, Sausage Sports Club, Light Fingers, Nine Parchments, and then finally, No More Heroes, uh, Travis Strikes Again, which is probably the biggest announcement out of that entire presentation because it's No More Heroes. Uh, Suda 51 prior to PAX West. And we actually knew about this like a couple days prior to it because uh, Rich, before he went out there to, to the event, he had gotten an interview with uh, Suda51 that he's actually, if he didn't already do it, he's already, he probably already did it at this point, but you guys will see that on the website at some point. But basically, they had talked about a No More Heroes game way back when, when they had the Japanese Nintendo Switch presentation before the console came out. And they said, I believe it was Grasshopper Studios, or at least, you know, Suda's studio, uh, was actually uh, talking about bringing that series back as far as like in a new game for the Nintendo Switch. What makes this different, though, is that it's a combination of like six different types of like, you know, indie collaborations or indie uh I guess you could say different companies just coming together and working together to make to make one game that's all tied together to the story and stuff. So there there isn't a lot of details about it. It's gonna be something completely different that people than people are used to with the with with the Nintendo uh, was well, not the Nintendo Switch uh, the No More Heroes franchise. But overall, you're getting a lot of indie games that were shown here. Some of them look pretty cool. Some of them look very very different. They're doing different things that you're not really seeing uh, in a lot of the other games that are offered on the platform right now. So overall, you got a lot to play on your Nintendo Switch. Cool. So um, with that being said, right? Because um, yeah, I, I remember when we had um, uh, we had the developer Andrew Benenson, I believe, um, from Prospect Games. You know, I remember he came on the show and, and um, he said they're actually trying to get you know their uh, game on the Nintendo Switch at the moment. Um, so what I wanted to ask the rest of you guys, you know, um, starting with you, Max, um, do you think there's potential for you know the the Nintendo Switch platform to become that go-to space for indie games moving forward? Uh, yes, 100% because of its portability. Uh, because, for example, Super Meat Boy, you know, that game's been around for like four or five years now. Um, and people still play it and talk about it. But the thing is, you can only play it on like your PC or on your Xbox at home. You know, this is the first time, to my knowledge, it's available on the go. And a lot of these games available on the go. Like Super Meat Boy is totally a game you could pick up and play for 10 minutes like on the train to work or something like that. And that's going to be a huge selling point for a lot of these things. And I know that, um, for example, Kentucky Route Zero, this is also, that game is being finished. It's an episodic game. And it's finally, the last episode is launching with this uh, Nintendo Switch release. So they're going to be doing a lot of promotions like that. And I know SteamWorld Dig 2 is releasing on the Switch first. I'm not sure if it's coming to other platforms after, but um, from right now, yeah, it's only releasing on the Switch when it comes out. And that game is also really fun to pick up and play. And you know, people are really going to see indie games coming to this thing and they're going to be like, alright, this is where I want to play it because I can do it wherever I want. And I think that's a massive selling point. Even for me, a lot of those games I have played or it's already past the point of me wanting to play them, but being able to do it on the go, it's great because it's like I'm not playing it instead of another game. It's, I'm playing it because I have nothing else to do, like on the train or something like that, like I said. So it's a great it's a great platform to be doing that on. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And um, I remember one of the uh, 
one of the things I think I asked um, Andrew when he was on the show. Um, I asked, like, is the the lack of competition something that's appealing, um, you know, on the Nintendo Switch? Because obviously the 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 um, you know the system's not going to be as convoluted and you know as um, oversat overly saturated with you know indie games on there. So at the moment, the lane is kind of wide open for indies to to get on there and stand out. Um, and obviously after a few years that's going to change drastically but at the moment I feel like you know the Nintendo Switch is is going to be the place to go um, for indies and Dana what, what do you think about um, Nintendo and you know indie games is indie games something that you, you're even interested in and if it is would it make you pick up a Switch yeah, I'm not gonna knock the indie games at all. There are very lovely indie games that are out there that I actually am appreciative that Nintendo Switch has given the opportunity and a chance to be on such a, you know, lovely platform. So I would go out of my way and get an indie game and try it out. So I think that it, it's, it's a positive move, it's a positive thing, and I like it. I approve it very much so. That's good to know. Um, and I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that might pick up the system just based on this because you also have to consider, um, you know, Nintendo have been killing it with the exclusives this year as well. So like when you consider they got great exclusives and now the indies are picking up, um, I feel like that is going to uh, push a lot of systems, you know, in itself. But um, JJ, what do you think? Is Nintendo going to be the new go-to device for uh, indie games? I think that they already are now with how many indie games they just announced at this presentation at this point. A lot of these a lot of these games also, which I think we should also mention that Super Meat Boy was on the Vita at one point. What makes this version of Super Meat Boy special though is that it's a new version with different types of content in it, besides it being portable, which is pretty appealing for a lot of developers that are, again, indie developers that want to do different stuff with their game and they want to be able to take risk and stuff and they're able to get on a platform like this, especially now that this is kind of like the ground level for the Nintendo Switch. It, remember, it's still early. It hasn't been out for that long. And a lot of the big, big titles haven't come out just yet. Even though we got Zelda Breath of the Wild and we got Splatoon 2, we still have that beast that's coming out at the end of this year called Mario Odyssey. And then there's other games coming in 2018. So things are only going to get better for the platform from here. So having a lot of these games out now, which, you know, entices players to buy them and at least play stuff on their Switch. There's a lot of different games that are offered now for the Nintendo Switch as a platform. So over time, this might get better. You might see other developers as well also put their games on here or at least porting some of their games that are on uh, different platforms like the PS4 or the Xbox One also coming to Switch at some point as well. Look at Sonic Mania. Sonic Mania is, is one of those games that got talked about a lot once it was coming out that the Switch version was getting a little bit delayed, but once it came out, people were really excited about it. I mean, so... I, I might agree with you on that one. And this might already be the platform for any developers to really kind of latch onto, at least, you know, as far as getting their feet wet or at least getting a good footing uh, for their franchise or any of their games that they want to put out there. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Nintendo is kind of creating, you know, their own lane um, in a sense. I mean, they've always kind of had their own lane, but um, I feel like even though people consider Nintendo to always be doing their own thing, I still feel like there is competition there. But um, I feel like with the Nintendo Switch, Nintendo's in uh, the probably the best position they've been in since you know the Wii console and, and when at the height of its popularity and everything. Um, so yeah, I think the Switch is is doing great things right now. 
and I'm happy for them. And I'm even considering getting one some point next year. So kudos to Nintendo for, you know, doing great things with the Nintendo Switch. Um, so yeah, we're going to shift gears now and talk about Microsoft. Um, and I wish Victor was here because, you know, I know, um, he, he always has a lot to say. Um, on, you know, we have good debates with Victor, I feel like. Um, so I, 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 I wish he was in the chat right now, but an Xbox executive came out and admitted that revealing Crackdown 3, um, too early was a mistake. So, um, I'm going to go to Max first. Um, we talked a lot about Crackdown 3 last week and, you know, um, about the delay and everything and what it means for the Xbox One X release. Um, do you feel like they made a, a, a great mistake by, you know, re- um, revealing the game? Like, I can't remember how many years ago. It was like three or four years ago or something now. It feels like, do you feel like that was a big mistake on their part? And, um, you know, is it coming back to haunt them? Um, I don't know if I feel like it was a big mistake in the grand scheme of things. It's a mistake for, like, the development of the game. But in the grand scheme of things... We've said this before. I just don't feel like Crackdown is that much of a system seller. While it sucks that no, it's not there at release for the X because they don't have much else that's really going to take much of the power of the X at release. Um, I don't think in the long run it would have been much for the system. And in terms of them announcing it early, that that's kind of a shame. But at the same time, they really haven't talked about it much. Much, you know, we just knew it was there. It's not like they announced it in show whole bunch of stuff and it just went dark like they just really have only shown a little bit here and there so i just don't feel like the hype has really been there in the first place and i don't know what would have changed if they'd saved the announcements for later you know what i mean yeah overall i think it's still good that it's coming i just i expect it to do fine i expect it to do like how a dead right or maybe not fine maybe average i expect it to do like how a dead rising four did or Dead Rising 3, or something like that. And Dead Rising 3 did, but that's only because it was at the launch of the console and there wasn't just to play. I don't think that game would have sold as well as it did otherwise. And I expect Crackdown yeah, to do the same thing. I can agree with that. Um, yeah, I feel like it, even if you do announce a game early and it's still far from being finished, there's still ways to keep the hype level up. I mean, you have games like Kingdom Hearts, you know, three yeah. and that managed it manages to you know um, consistently get that that level of, ex- of excitement for it. You know, um, and with Crackdown, I feel like the main issue is the fact that you know they're delivering a new console and they have a lack of exclusives for it. So that's where it's really hurting them because people were expecting Crackdown three to coincide with. The, the X but you know now that's not the case and I think that's why it's really in question I feel like if the Xbox One X wasn't coming this year people probably wouldn't be questioning Crackdown so much I mean we'd still you know have it in, in the background of our of our minds that it's coming at some point and that it's been a long time waiting for it but there would be other games for us to enjoy as well but I feel like um, you know we, we kind of need that that big Microsoft exclusive now to justify the release of a new system. And that's the issue here. But um, JJ, what's your thoughts on, you know, this whole thing? I don't really have much to say, to be honest with you. I mean, a a lot has already been said about crackdown three. 
Uh, and, and again, this just kind of confirms most of what's already been said. Cool. I mean, so yeah, so if we use like a parallel here, um, so obviously we've been like, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 was announced years ago. Um, it might have been around the same time as Crackdown 3 comes to think of it. I can't really remember. Yeah, I think it was 2013 when Kingdom Hearts was first announced. Um, so, but do, do you feel like then, it's a problem to release? Oh, sorry, what was you going to say? I was just going to say, I think you're right. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, um, so 2013, right? So, with that in mind, I know you're, you've been waiting for Kingdom Hearts 3 as well. Like, is, you know, is it a bad thing for, a, you know, a company to re- reveal a game that far ahead of time and not deliver until, you know, like uh, four or five years later? Yeah, I think it's always been a bad idea. And, and a lot of other people, some more qualified than me to talk about it, have said the exact same thing. I mean, when you really think about it, a lot of those early, early announcements are just to generate hype and excitement. It's just to get people talking again about something for one reason or another. It's not necessarily related to that one specific franchise. It could be also related for a lack of other stuff going on. So, I mean, Crackdown 3, for the longest time, I remember when they announced it or they even talked about it at a couple E3s that I've been to at this point. And, you know, having not seen, like, an ounce of gameplay up until more recently. But uh, overall, it's it's always a bad idea to announce something that doesn't really have anything much to show, especially when there's going to be a long wait involved. At that point, like other people have said besides me, don't say anything until you have something significant to show. I mean, look at, like, I think it was Fallout 4 was the one that, besides the premature leaking of, like, what the game was, when they finally came out and said, like, Fallout 4 is coming out, oh, and guess what? It'll be out in seven months. Like... Those are the types of big-time announcements that people really like because not only does it show that the game has been worked on for a very long time, but like they, it's coming soon. So it's not like you have to wait like three or four years for the game to drop or at least be hyped up for those three or four years. It's like a, It kind of diminishes the, the ability to get excited about something. So, I mean, everybody's different, so some people out there even listening to this might feel a little bit differently, but at least that's how I feel. I could say the same thing even about Final Fantasy VII Remake, if we're, we're going to talk about Square Enix and, and games that are in similar vein. Uh, you could even say the same thing about people that have been waiting years for Half-Life 3, because I know Half-Life 3 kind of came up uh, at some point over the last like couple weeks that people have talked about and that's a whole nother beast and an anomaly in of itself but at that point like you know don't talk about a game as a company don't reveal stuff officially about a game unless you're really you're really ready to talk about it or at least you know there's significant progress that's done that people are going to be really excited for your stuff and they don't have to wait for a very long time but again that's just me cool dana you got any thoughts on that yeah i feel that it really depends on the game if it's something that's really going to be you know, that's waiting and you're anticipating for, you know, like Final, Final Fantasy or um, one of those, um, oh gosh, I just completely forgot it. But anyway, like Final Fantasy and one of those games that, you know, feels like it's taking forever to create, don't say anything. The best thing that you can do is surprise an audience when you actually close to the deadline. If it's something that's brand new and you want somebody, you know, people to start talking about it to get that early buzz on, then that, to me, I feel is okay. But games that you know people are going to go completely crazy and hyped over and it's a sequel or something, just hush your mouth until you have a guarantee that you can actually put the game out on a certain day that you say that you're going to put it out or even that year. That's my issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, earlier this year at E3, um, you know, well, after the Microsoft conference, 
Phil Spencer did come out and say that um there was a lot more games that they wanted to announce, you know, some exclusive stuff that they have, but it was way too early for them to to, you know, say anything about it. So with that, Max, do you feel like they're they're finally learning their lesson on that and you know, they're kind of scared to to let this happen again with, with what's happened with Crackdown? Okay, I guess he's not there though. Dana, are you there? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, cool. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, um, no, I think I'm... Microsoft has learned their lesson. Here's the thing that I feel, and I think that it is partly fans that are to blame. Sorry. But people put such a competitive spirit between Microsoft and, and Xbox and, and Square Unix and all these different companies that, you know, oh, that they announced this and they announced this, but what have you done? You haven't announced anything. And I think that the, the studios are reacting because of that. So when you have, like, say, my Nintendo that announced all these different games, like Metro 4 and, you know, other games that they have, like, in the wait and all they can show, like, a picture of it, but they're saying, we're developing it. I don't understand the purpose that you're trying to do. You're trying to create buzz over a picture? So my thing is that they need to just stop being so competitive. Yes, you want to have the best presentation. Yes, you want people to be really excited for the games that you have coming out on your console. But at the same time, don't go completely crazy over it. Don't put your foot in your mouth when you're announcing games. It's going to be like, oh, we have Final Fantasy 18 and it's coming to you, you know, and you announce some date of like, you know, 2020 and then comes 2020. It's not going to release until 2024. My thing is just wait until you have the game. Don't even pay attention to the fans and don't allow yourself to be caught up in that competitive nature. Because at the end of the day, you end up looking completely ridiculous. So just hush. When you have something, show it. And I think um, a really great job was what they did with um, Spider-Man for PS4. You kind of have like that buzz about it, but they wasn't jumping around saying, you know, we have this right now and here's all this gameplay and here's all of that. They waited more to, you know, they was closer towards, you know, working towards it. And they, they was able to work out all of the kinks before they fully announced everything. We seem to have lost Max, and I'm not sure if JJ is here. JJ, are you here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, we might be having a little technical difficulty. Some people in the chat, it's a little choppy at the moment, but um, they said we they, they can hear me and you, Dana, so uh, I guess we'll continue ahead until um, hopefully the other guys come back. But um, We're the survivors. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll just transition into the next topic because, um, you know, still based on Microsoft. So Microsoft issued an open invitation to, you know, other um, game developers. And they basically want to push the idea of cross-play to, you know, across more than just Xbox and um, and PC. So, you know, they want, they want um, cross-play against all platforms. So, you know, whether you're playing on PlayStation 4 or Nintendo Switch, they want you to be able to play with PC people or Xbox people. You know, kind of like what they're trying to do with Minecraft with that global event across, you know, all the platforms and everything. So they're really making a push for this at the moment. And I feel like it's something they want to do to kind of change the industry moving forward. And I think they want to set a new standard, um, you know, with crossplay. So, Dana, um, how do you feel about Microsoft's initiative to, you know, kind of push this uh, crossplay? 
I love it because there's no, there's no lose-lose for me. In my opinion, I don't see there's a lose-lose. At the end of the day, if you're a gamer, then you want to play games. I'm sorry. I hate the whole competitive thing of like, you know, well, I have Microsoft and I have PC and I have a Nintendo Switch and I have, you know, an Atari or whatever it is that you have. Who cares? At the end of the day, you should be creating games for everyone that we all love. At the end of the day, you win. You're able to have more players, more people play your game, and you're able to introduce people to that console or whatever it is. They stay on their own console, but you're introducing people to that game. And at the end of the day, I want something that's going to play my game to the best ability and not necessarily focus so much on all the entertainment stuff that it has going on. So to get people together, no matter what it is that they're playing, creates this community. And at the end of the day, that's what gaming is about. It's about community. You know, it's about forming these friendships and bonds through games. And I don't see any problem with that at all. I love that idea. I support that idea a thousand percent. And the people win. And it boosts you know self-esteem and you have more friends and you don't have to worry about oh i can't play with my best friend bob because bob instead of buying you know the xbox one s he instead ran home and bought the pc because he's able to afford more and we can't enjoy this game of i don't know whatever it is together because you know it doesn't come out on pc so I'm, yeah, I have this game and I'm really happy about it. And I have this experience that I want to share with other people, but I can't do that because it's not available on PC. So I love this idea. I think that it's, it's great. I support it. And they should do that for every game because I don't, I don't see what the purpose is. I mean, yes, you want to sell more on your console, but at the end of the day, if you, 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 you want people to enjoy it and to come together. And I think that is what gaming is all about community. Very well said. Yeah, we'll go with JJ. Um, so we're talking about Microsoft and their initiative to push crossplay, right? Um, so they want to, you know, they want that they put out like an open call to any, um, you know, any game developer who wants to, um, you know, have their games be crossplay across, you know, PC, Xbox playstation you know everything basically so it seems like they're trying to pave the way moving forward and you know make crossplay um you know a standard in the industry yeah and uh one of the things that somebody said in the chat is they probably would have never um promoted this if they were still on top and stuff so what do you feel about this initiative from microsoft to really push crossplay i think and, that's um, totally is it true something that's is it something think- that's needed I, I think that's totally true because if you look at PlayStation right now, you notice that they haven't really talked about something like that. And you could even argue the same thing with Nintendo. I think there's a lot of logistical things behind the scenes with the business side of things with, with the gaming industry that kind of have made that very, very difficult. I mean, you have those anomalies here and there with things like Rocket League that really that are able to do something like that, which is good. However, I don't think you're ever going to see that as like a frequent thing. It's cool for Microsoft to say that now because I don't think they really have much of anything else to talk about besides the Xbox One X, which is really shouldn't be the focal point of the conversation. It should be the games you're playing on that platform. But also, 
at the same time, the reason why places like PlayStation aren't really talking about that is because everything else that they have going for them is going on their own platform. It's going on their own ecosystem. So I don't think they really need to kind of interact or even collaborate with other ecosystems with the games that you could play on their platform. So, I mean, it's cool. It sounds interesting. I think that if some developers want to do it, they're able to do it. You're going to find a, a bunch of games that are able to, to cross-play between the PC version and the Xbox One or Xbox One X version of their games. But I think it's going to be a lot more difficult or a lot more rare to see that done with PlayStation 4 games and PC or Nintendo Switch games and PC. It just seems like there's a lot more logistical things behind the scenes that most people don't re- end up talking about or don't focus on that prevent that from actually happening. Yeah, that is uh, very true. And I'm, I'm thinking of my experiences with uh, crossplay, and it, it's mainly on uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter Five. And I remember that being very choppy across, you know, um, PlayStation. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. I I know exactly what you're talking about. And I I have terrible experiences with that because a lot of it has to do with exploits. A lot of it has to do with stable connections because obviously between the two platforms and even just between the two people, the internet uh, connections and the quality of the the connections to the game itself are always going to be different. So that just adds another factor into the mix of making things work in a stable fashion. It's one thing to work on one platform and then have like, you know, people connecting online through their, through their internet to the games that they play online with multiplayer. It's another, Another thing to make two different platforms work simultaneously or work together in cahoots. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so you know, Max, he said uh, he said he rebooted everything and hopefully it's working fine now. Um, he said that he was actually downloading an update for Recall and that's why his internet was going slow. But uh, Max, are you, are you there? Yeah. Are, you, are you good now? Right. Yeah. Recall ruined everything like usual. Can you hear me? <laughs> Yeah, um, but um, no, yeah, I I'm of the party that thinks that the only reason Microsoft is doing this is because, like you guys said, they don't have anything going for them really. You know, if they had what Sony had, the first party uh, exclusives that everyone was jumping onto and going forward with, they wouldn't be talking about unifying everyone and trying to not necessarily bring more people onto their platform, but put themselves in a better light with the community and everyone like that, which is like, to be fair, it's not an awful idea because they know they can't come back this gen. And um, I believe it was earlier in the chat, Microsoft is trying to themselves because they know they, again, that's a, I think we'll see in a, few years them be pioneers of cross kind of cool this in the chat and i agree with anything super game a a nice extra bonus you're getting you know what i mean like us gary you and me being able to play well i'm on xbox and you on the ps4 that's cool but it's nothing like holy shit this is the greatest thing ever i love microsoft for allowing this and everything you know it's just yeah and we know they've been leaning towards this with their Xbox Play Anywhere thing as well, but I think that the only reason they're pushing that is also because people aren't buying Xbox Ones. You know, it just seems to be that that's the reason they're going for all of this. I think that if they were in the same case as they were last gen with the 360, they wouldn't be pushing this sort of thing. And to be fair, I did question a lot of the time why Sony was kind of like against the cross-platform play, but as I think about it more, I think that 
they realize this as well, that maybe Microsoft is just doing this just because they're trying to be seen in the better light and because they know they can't really win. And they're just kind of like, I mean, no, we have everything going great here. We don't need to open ourselves up to this sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, and I do feel like, you know, um, it's it's very good PR for Microsoft to come out and say this because it, it seems like they're siding with, you know, the gamers and what the gamers want. But um, when you think of the logistics, like JJ was saying, um, logistically, there's probably a lot of complications with it. And there's also a control thing with it as well, because we know that when it comes to, you know, crossplay between Windows and Xbox, Microsoft has control over that. You know, they have like two separate divisions there that can deal with all the technical aspects and stuff and, you know, make it a bit more smooth. But when you're talking, you know, crossplay between uh, PlayStation and Xbox, like who is going to manage that? You know, like because I take it there's probably going to be some um, level of mutual, um, you know, troubleshooting and stuff like that, you know, to make sure that everything is running smooth between both networks when when they connect with each other. So, you know, who is going to handle that? And people are going to have to be paid to do this. You know, it's, it's this is work that, you know, they have to pay people for. So, like, which company is going to be responsible, you know, for that troubleshooting at the end of the day? Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of logistics there. Um, and it's probably not an easy thing. There probably isn't, like, some kind of global infrastructure that just makes it easy. Like, maybe if there was some sort of, like, global um, network or something that or they can all connect to, and then it just sorts itself out like that would be easy but i don't think it's as easy as that you know so um so yeah uh, i think there's a lot of logistics behind the scenes and i feel like microsoft coming out and saying this it just makes them look good i think it's you know a good pr move for them especially with you know the minecraft thing and sony kind of declining you know obviously sony was like the only one to decline so I think this is Microsoft just kind of responding to that and making PlayStation seem a, a bit worse, you know, like they're, they're making themselves look, they're push, positioning themselves to look better, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, as a gamer, it's something that, you know, that would be very cool, but it's just the delivery of it, you know, that's the issue. Um, I love it's the only yeah. positive. Go ahead. Say that again. I was saying. That was the only positive one. You're the only positive one? Yeah, about the whole idea. That was like the only one that was positive about it. No, I think on, you know, to some degree, I think we're all slightly positive. I think we all would like to see it happen, you know, as a concept, as an idea. I think it's really cool, you know, to have PlayStation gamers play against Xbox. I think we're just more thinking of politics behind it and the issues and you know based on our own experiences there have been issues with crossplay um so yeah and i also think that the whole fanboy thing like on the internet like that would explode as well like there would like it would go people would go insane you know if there was say you could play um you know uh overwatch or some sort of competitive game cross-platform i think you know people would would legit become tribal you know it like people would become tribal for their platform i think um so yeah it, it would raise the, the fanboy arguments to a whole nother level i think um some of that would be fun to see though to be honest but yeah um there, there's a lot of uh things to consider with crossplay 
Go ahead, Max. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I think that would also be very cool, having, like, Xbox versus PlayStation games of Overwatch or something like that. That would totally explode the kind of fanboyism, but I think in a more healthy way, like a competitive way, and not in a everyone shit-talking each other on Twitter over dumb stuff, but, like, actually just playing against each other. You know, that, that'd be kind of like... Uh, like a rivalry between towns or something like that. I, I think it'd be a much more healthy kind of competitive way to be a fanboy, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I think that would be really cool. And there would be games that could even like take advantage of that as well and their marketing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you talk about it like that, um, you know, we're going to actually be talking esports soon anyway, but like, do you feel like having cross play is something that will, um, you know, be good for, for esports in general like would it make esports that much better if you could cross play like that and it was seamless um i don't know how much it would affect it directly i guess because i feel like at the end of the day um the games that would be affected with crossplay are games like rocket league and stuff and those people they just go to their esport and they play it on whichever console they choose i guess I don't really think that would have a major, major effect on esports because also a lot of the big esports games are on PC, like, you know, Dota League and Counter-Strike. Like, yeah, Counter-Strike is on console, but no one plays it on console. (laughs) And then um, Halo is like an esport, but that's only on Xbox, you know what I mean? So I don't know how much that would affect it. I don't think too much. Aside from just drawing more people in. I was going to throw a, a thought in there. I think that it wouldn't affect it at all because keep in mind when it comes to esports, if we're if we're talking real esports stuff, we have to encompass everything, not just the specific genres. It's FPSs, it's fighting games, it's sports games, etc. Esports in of itself is electronic sports, so it's all forms of that competition. The thing about this, though, especially with the organized competition, when you start getting to those upper echelons of stuff like Overwatch, like Dota, like League, like StarCraft, like Unreal Tournament, you could even argue. Halo, Call of Duty, etc. The thing is, is that all that stuff is uniform anyway. So they're only going to use one type of platform or one type of console anyway, once you get to those big name tournaments, especially when there's sponsors involved, when there's money involved, and there's a whole bunch of other factors outside of the game that influence everything that's going on. So when it comes to the scene, the community, as far as these different games, I think it affects it a little bit more because remember, those are online communities that are being affected. So no matter what platform that you're on, if there's crossplay that's enabled for that particular game with other platforms then you're going to care about that a little bit more but if you're going to be talking about the competitive aspect of it none of that's going to matter at the end of the day look at games like street fighter 5 since we were just mentioning it uh most of the people play on console anyway they play on uh what is it on playstation 4 when they go to some of these tournaments and stuff even though there's a huge scene with the pc community that still interact with the playstation 4 community or the people that are playing on those platforms especially with the mods that are on pc or the pc version of that game but when you go to the tournaments, you see a little bit more things that are done uniformly. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense now you guys say it. They they do tend to uh, you know pick a platform at the big you know esports stages and stuff. So I I guess this will only really affect like online play um, and stuff. But yeah, it's 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 a good conversation you know to have this whole crossplay thing because um, it's something we all want, but it's you know it seems like a, a big headache, but. Uh, We'll see what happens. I definitely feel like there's going to be a possibility of it happening more in the future. But um, to what degree, uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out. But um, let's go on to our main topic now, speaking of esports. So 
uh, at the beginning of August, there was talks, you know, by the Olympics committee to include esports in the, the 2024 Olympic games. So they were really considering it and stuff. And I believe they still are. I think the talks are still on the table. However, the co-president of the committee recently came out and uh, made some some harsh statements on, you know, um, gaming and esports. And he was basically saying, like, um, you know, a lot of the the games are kind of too violent to to have in, you know, in the Olympics. And also he went on to say that, you know, um, cause esports isn't that, re- well, he believes that esports isn't that regulated right now. So there's no way to tell if, you know, um, a player is, you know, um, juicing or, you know, taking drugs or something like that, you know? Um, so that raised the question. And I feel like, you know, this is a serious, a serious, um, conversation that, that can be had. Should esports be accepted? on the olympics so i'll go to you first dana what do you feel about esports being on the olympics should it happen and also what do you think about the co-president of the committee's statements regarding esports i think that it's downright ridiculous what he had to say um i can kind of understand you want to create that family type atmosphere And so you may think that the games that are out there are a little too violent and too bloody. But um, at the same time, there are plenty of games that aren't at all. And they can be just as competitive as, you know, any other game with Street Fighter or whatever else out there. Um, So in that aspect, what he was saying, I don't agree at all. But I do think that maybe not right now. I think that there's a lot of kinks and stuff that they have to work out. And I do look forward to it being included maybe, you know, in in later years down the line. Um, My issue is that when you generally think of the Olympics, you think more of your physicality as opposed to um, strategic and stuff like that. I do know that they are, they've put out an application for say stuff like chess and bridge. And so once those sports I feel are accepted into, um, the Olympics, then I feel we can open up gaming. But right now, I don't, I don't see the need for it to belong in the Olympics. And it has nothing to do with violence or anything else. I just think that the market right now, Olympic wise, that's, and no, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. There's no reason for there to be an Olympic sport. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do believe there's still a lot, a lot of work to be done in esports for it to get to that level. I think, um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like it's something that is um, acceptable for the future but um, JJ how do you feel about you know um, the esports being a part of the Olympics and the co-president's statements I think there's a lot of different factors with all this and I think a lot of it has to do 
with a lot of different people, not just the co-president here, which I don't agree with his statements because I think they're very hypocritical. And the reason being is because I think a lot of people, whenever they get into this conversation about gaming being accepted as like electronic sports or being accepted into the Olympics, being looked at as a form of art or a form of whatever else, all these other big conversations we've had for years, a lot of people tend to be very intellectually dishonest. And the thing about this, specifically with the Olympics, is that you got to define what the Olympics are. If the Olympics are competition, if we're just saying that it's just organized competition, then there should be no reason that the, the, the Olympic Committee or any of these people or even this co-president shouldn't take a hard look at competitive gaming or at least esports in general and really consider it because when you really slice it up and you really think about it and you look at the facts that are out there there's a lot of huge 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 gaming competitions for a variety of different games that not only bring in a lot of money but also bring in a lot of crowds and bring in a lot of audience and a lot of people that really care about these specific competitions that's if you define what goes on at the olympics as just competition if you start talking about whether it's physical or not then in actuality gaming doesn't need to be in the olympics because gaming in of itself you know especially competitive gaming has become big if not bigger than some of these other sports that again people really care about now granted i know i'm coming from a very naive place when i say this or you know even speak on all this it's because there are some sports that here in the united states people just don't give a damn about if you really think about it do you really think that a lot of people here in the united states care about bobsledding do you really think that a lot of people here in the United States or even in other places of the world, you know, with the exception of the few where there's a lot of players that are there for those specific types of events, really care about a lot of the events that are in the Olympics? When you really slice it down, people in their respective countries only care about one thing, is if the, their country got the most gold medals with the players that are representing them in that country. That's really what you really hear about from the Olympics, or you, at least people that talk about the Olympics on whatever basis, whenever it comes around every single four years. The, the thing is, though, there's a lot of dis, uh, dishonest people intellectually that are out there because it becomes one type of discussion and immediately gets changed up midway. Because people just don't want to have the discussion about games in that same type of light. You have the same thing with people talking about games being an art form, being accepted in the mainstream media and not be considered, you know, not just a child's toy, but as a as a tool or as a pathway towards violence. There's all these different things that happen all over the place. And in regards to the co-president's statements, that's a symptom of people that don't have anybody really to talk with them on their level or within their quote-unquote language when it comes to gaming. We don't have that representative that's out there, at least in the gaming industry or even out there in the real world that really understands gaming, that knows how to talk to these types of people. Because there's a lot of people that are out there that are within these types of positions or within positions of decision making that don't understand gaming, don't understand the new wave of media or understand a lot of the newer things that are popping up within this generation of people to really kind of adapt and really implement a lot of these different things that people clearly care about. But there's a lot of old ways thinking, a lot of old school uh, thinking to all this stuff and the resistance to change and the resistance to change things up and really kind of implement new stuff into everything that's already been working for so many years. So in essence, right, to, to kind of wrap it all up, does gaming need to be in the Olympics? No. I don't think they need to be in the Olympics to be successful or to really kind of continue evolving as as a medium. Do I think it's a good accolade to have and sh to show 
that gaming has come a long way since the early uh, 80s or even like the, the, the 70s or even you could even argue to an extent the 60s when gaming's uh, first genesis like really started to come about and become the industry that it is today. I think, yeah, I think it's a good thing to kind of, you know, be proud about that as people that care about video games in general. But I don't think it necessarily needs to be in the Olympics. And if anything, we, you know, the, the Olympics has more to gain by actually exploring this and actually uh, really exploring the idea of having games become part of their events, you know, regardless of what country it's at, than they do to have, uh, was it, shutting it out. Because let's be real for a second. Like, there's a lot of violent, quote-unquote, sports or or sports or events that are implemented in the Olympics that have some sort of association with violence that is not as bad. I mean, that it, that is probably worse or at least just as bad as what you could probably get from playing a video game. What really that guy is referring to is this age-old stereotypes that we've heard for, like, many, many years for people that play yep. Call of Duty, guns, fighting, and all this other stuff. But when you look at the Olympics, you have events that people are using guns to shoot targets at, or you have fencing, or you have wrestling, you have martial arts. You know, the list goes on, and we could get very meta at that point. But overall... It doesn't need to be the Olympics, but it'd be nice if it could actually happen with some open minds and some open hearts too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, it seems like this co-president's statements were real ignorant and naive. Um, I remember recently, yeah, naive, ignorant, and I remember recently um, they started showing esports on a few BBC channels over here in the UK. And there was a bunch of people complaining about that in the UK about seeing people playing games on TV and stuff. So there, there are people out there who just don't understand how gaming has involved and they don't see the appeal or they don't, they don't understand the appeal of esports. Um, so yeah, I know those people exist. So it's probably going to be a challenge to get something like esports, you know, in the Olympics. But was um, this recent? They started complaining in the UK because it's kind of growing here in America. Like there's actual channels dedicated. ESPN had that same problem. Really? Because it's it's on Disney XD down here. Well, well, here's the thing. The the thing that I'm referring to is when the Dota Championships, or even I think it was the Evo uh, Championships for Street Fighter, were were shown on ESPN two, I believe it is. And remember, there was a big controversy about that. I think about a month or so ago when Evo was going on. But like the thing is, it's all very hypocritical in the end. It's it's a it's a very hypocritical stance for the Olympic Committee to take, or at least the people that the way that they're speaking on them, because they don't understand games, they don't understand the medium, they don't understand the communities that are out there, and the overall support and the money that they could have that's involved with all of this. It's like, the problem is, you know what I really think it is in, in, at, at its core? Is that everybody is so on edge and so cautious with the, the implied backlash or the implied reaction from people that are constantly just don't want to accept something new into the fray of things, that that's why there's so many people that are kind of tiptoeing around the discussion about all this, whether it's on the Olympics, whether it's at ESPN, whether it's any of these other things whatsoever. I think it's more that they're afraid of the backlash and not willing to kind of take the step forward and take the hit in order to move forward and be progressive in some aspects, rather than just keep things the way they are and just, again, implied association with it. You know, there's a lot of just disingenuousness that's associated with everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's going to be some hurdles, you know, that that need to be um, you know that need to be tackled like before we we see, you know, this happen, but I do want to see it happen because I feel like it's going to be really progressive, you know, for 
for gaming if you know this ever happens but i don't know if it's going to be ready to happen you know in 2024 but uh we'll see uh max what's your thoughts on this uh to be completely honest you you and jj pretty much took the words exactly out of my mouth uh i think the statement that he made was uh pretty ignorant and naive like you guys were saying it sounds like like what JJ said, he says this more because, A, he doesn't know anything about it, which is fine, but then don't make a statement on it, you know what I mean? And B, um, because of the backlash. Like, I'm sure that if he had said something like, yeah, they're coming, then people would have given them a lot of shit, and that's something that definitely he fears and had to be very careful with saying. I just, I feel like the statement almost shouldn't have happened then, at least without him doing more research on it. This really is something that people just don't really get like gaming is something people don't really get anymore or have never really gotten and are just trying not to get it seems they're just actively avoiding it and to be honest i guess this is kind of like earlier art forms as well like gaming is still kind of young compared to movies and music and all that and if you remember like even like the beatles when the beatles first came out people were scared shitless of their kids going to see the beatles and it just seems to me like gaming is just still in that state of things and it's quickly growing out of that like more and more people are accepting gaming every single day and it's starting to be incorporated into like schooling and stuff like that which is really cool but i don't know i guess i'm just kind of used to this mindset as well because i grew up in a very um i guess not regressive but just very with a lot of closed-minded people like a lot of the people that i'm used to being around with a lot of the adults i'm used to being around with are just very closed-minded and just not open to change and kind of stuck in their ways and everything. And then here's me who's like trying to be a games journalist and all this shit. And they're all just like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, and I just do my best to try and explain it to them and just help people realize that gaming really isn't just this violent thing where you're sitting there mindlessly shooting and hitting things. To be fair, there is, to a degree, there is some parts of that still in gaming. Like I do think what Call of Duty has done lately, I feel like, industrializing gaming has been bad for our for like the view of gaming and i do think that that's part of where that comes from like not shitting on people who play call of duty because i know not everyone plays it that way but i think that there is some of the stigma does come from that side of things but um gaming is art and anything like that but um in terms of it being in the Olympics, I agree that I don't really think it needs it. You know, gaming really has its own, esports is really its own industry, but I do think that it would be beneficial in terms of people accepting it as a whole. Being in the Olympics would help that. And honestly, I think that by 2024, it could totally be accepted into the Olympics. If we're already seeing stuff on ESPN, despite people complaining about it, I think that by 2024, especially because we're only in 2017, that things will have changed a lot by then. And that I I honestly almost guarantee that by then. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that you know if this was to become a thing as well, um, I I could see a lot of publishers kind of even updating their games to make them more viewer friendly on the Olympics. So like, say a fighting game like Street Fighter is accepted, you know, as part of the esport for the Olympics. I could see Capcom going in there and you know um toning down some of the blood or some of the you know the the effects of the violence you know and the characters and everything like that just so it's a bit more friendly you know so i'm sure the publishers would have some sort of hands-on with their games if it's you know going to be played on on a stage like the olympics so there's you know 
there's a lot they can do to you know to to make this happen and um you know make it so that it's appealing for everyone and accessible to everyone as well um but yeah i had uh i had a another question i wanted to ask you guys related to this but before that i i just want to say real quickly i really wish that this was happening in time for the olympics in japan because gaming is something that's really embedded in in their culture what was you saying max I just said exactly. Like, yeah, that would have been dope. Yeah, definitely. And you know, they've even they promoted the 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 Japan Olympics with Mario. They had you know Mario and everything like that. So it would have been really cool if it happened, you know, in Japan. Like that would be a, be a big deal in my opinion. But it's going to miss the mark on that, unfortunately. Um, but I just feel like that would have been a big deal. So the the question I was going to ask you guys is, say, let's say. That you know, um, esports was going to be accepted for the Olympics. You know, today, like let's say there's an Olympics like coming up this year or something, hypothetically, right? Which games would you say should be a part of the, the Olympics? So, let's go around and each you know pick two games um, that we feel should be accepted, you know, into the Olympics. Uh, I'll go first so that so then I give you guys time to think about it. Um, so. For me, I am going to, um, of course, I'm going to go Overwatch. Like that's a given, you know. So that's going to be like my number one pick. Um, I feel like um, Overwatch is like I watch a lot of Overwatch esports myself, and you know, I just, I just really enjoy, you know, the, the gameplay and how every character is different and how you know a lot of strategies are formed and, and stuff like that. Um, it is a biased pick from me because, to be honest, I don't feel like Overwatch is a game that's easily understood by an outsider. You know, people who don't, um, you know, play Overwatch or have knowledge of it, it's probably going to be difficult for people to follow what's going on. But I just have to say it, you know, because I am biased in this case. Um, so the second game I'm going to pick is, um, uh, it's, this one is tough. Um, but I think I would just go Street Fighter because I think a fighting game should be honored in the Olympics uh, because, you know, it's it's a concept that's been part of gaming for, for so many years now. Um, and Street Fighter is, you know, one of the, the most recognized fighting games out there. Um, and yeah, I just feel like if if you're gonna have an esport that you want people to tune into, a fighting game has to be there. I think because it's a concept that everybody will understand. People will know that okay, this character is fighting this character, you know. So one person's controlling that character, one person controlling the other character, and they're duking it out, you know. Um, so people that that's an easy concept for anybody to understand. Um, and I just feel like Street Fighter is probably the game that deserves to be up there but there's also a lot of other fighting games i know um i was i was gonna actually think of um super smash brothers to be honest just because you know it's more family friendly and everything um because of the characters but um, i'm gonna go with street fighter in this case so uh max i'll go to you first what what would your choices be um i was originally gonna say overwatch is my number one too um also because while you were saying like people may not understand the game right away, I feel like you could say that about 
a lot of sports. Don't get me wrong, like basketball and soccer and stuff, and like football, you can still easily kind of tell what's going on, you know, at least from a basic perspective, you know, these people are trying to put the ball here. But I feel like Overwatch, it's the type of thing, you know, it's flashy enough, it's colorful enough that the people who would want to understand it it would catch their eye right away and it would start appealing to them in the first place and i think there's more than enough people that that would work with um but also for my two games that i would pick uh rocket league definitely number one you know because that's simple it's just like any other sport you know it's soccer but with cars you know that's really all i need to say on it it's that's so easy and people who don't even like video games that still might be something that they could tune into because it's it's different than what they think of video games you know most people think of video games as like call of duty and stuff but then they'll see something like rocket league and they'll be like holy shit that looks really cool and then um <clears throat> my other one would be like dota 2 or some sort of moba or some like honestly any of the mobas because mainly because mark put it best actually he said it's kind of like chess um it's like balanced as well as chess, which is, I agree completely. And, you know, if something like chess, that logical can be in the Olympics. So can something like logical and as deep and complex as Dota, you know, anything can happen in a MOBA, literally anything. And it really, I, to be fair, I don't really sit and watch esports much just because I don't really know why I just don't watch things. I'm usually doing it myself, I guess, but Sometimes when there's like Dota 2 thrown on or something, I find myself getting lost in it for like the day and I'll, I'll end up watching it the rest of the day because it gets really intense and competitive. And it's like sometimes I forget how intense a MOBA can be because I don't play them as often as I used to anymore. But there's just something very gripping about them, even if you don't understand them completely. Like I fall out of the Maiden game. I don't understand all the heroes moves and everything they're going, but I understand the basics of the MOBA so I can still kind of tell what's going on. And then, of course, having the commentators helps so much. You have to remember that there's going to be commentators with any of these games. So that will also help anyone who may not have any idea what's going on kind of get into it. And then they can choose to decide if they want to go further than that. Oh, yeah. I, I want to see uh, Malik Forte shouts to him. I want to see him commentate, you know, at, at the eSport in the Olympics. But um, that, you know, that's a good pick, the Dota <laughs> one. Um, and um I, I really want to get into mobos like I, I tried before but you know i just i don't know i just couldn't get into it. i tried um league of legends um but i just really didn't get into it but i i understand the appeal i just really want to you know um get into it and understand it more you know I, I understand the basic concept of controlling the lanes and pushing forward and stuff like that but um for some reason it was just lost on me when i tried it out myself but i feel like i could really enjoy it and get into it if i try so i, I do want to uh, give mobas another try and i, I think they could be a, a good a good pick for the olympics go ahead yeah i was gonna say you especially because you play overwatch now there's a lot of kind of moba not i shouldn't say a lot but there's a lot of the lighter moba elements kind of merged in with overwatch so you'd probably be able to pick them up a lot easier now that you've played a lot of that as well yeah yeah that's true that's true um Dana, what 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 would be your picks for for esports at the Olympics? Okay, for like total fun and you know family friendly Mario Kart, and then like more of the I think of esports, and I think that it should be more tactical. So probably Total War. Mm, that's a good pick. 
Totally. Yeah, because you balance the fun, and then you know you gotta have something where you. Not saying that Mario Kart you don't sit around thinking, but you know you need something that's more strategic, and you have to plan. I see if they include um, um, esports into Olympics, I want it to be more of you know thinking. I compare it more to chess. So, I see, I see stuff like Total War being in there, something that's more of like a strategic planning. Figuring out your battles, that type of thing. So, that and you know, there's nothing wrong with Mario Kart. That's that's fun for everyone, and it's easy to follow. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Mario Kart, that that's you know, that's a real easy concept for people to understand. And as for Total War, um, yeah, although that like I personally haven't got into RTSs like that much, but. That's, I guess, if it's Total War and it's based on, you know, um, an era of like conquering that people are familiar with, then, you know, uh, people can attach to that, that you know, um, the, the fact that it's kind of like conquering, you know, the other army and stuff like that. Um, so, and yeah, if they're not familiar, so you see, double win for everyone. Get a history lesson and, mm-hmm. and, and your games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so JJ, what was going to be your picks for this? I think that whatever gets implemented into the Olympics has to be a game that is kind of complex, but also something that's easy for everybody to just understand at a base level. So that's why I agree with you. Street Fighter is is the one that not only has that because it could get very deep, even though it's just two people fighting each other or going one on one, but also it's the excitement factor. Uh, I think kind of like what Maxim mentioned, there's going to be uh, commentary over things like this because that's what helps the audience understand what's happening on their screen or what's happening in front of them. And, you know, fighting games are just the fighting game genre and the FGC has the biggest opportunity or the biggest potential to make something like that work because they've been doing it for so long. It's just a matter of translating that same level of excitement and applying it in the same way that something like the Olympics could actually do without all the baggage that comes with it. That's the challenge there for that. As far as another game is concerned, the, the biggest problem is, is that what no matter what game you choose, the more complicated the game is, the less likely everybody is to understand it and stick with it. So that's why I feel like going with like a, a MOBA or even going with like an RTS game, like a StarCraft and such, while they are popular and have like huge followings and have huge communities devoted to this, especially in Korea and stuff, I don't think it would work in the Olympics. That's why I feel like maybe the the FPS genre would also be another one that has the most potential to do something like that. Again, like an Unreal Tournament or even very similar to Overwatch, but I do feel like there, there's an instance of Overwatch that gets way too complex and is way too complicated in uh, a lot of stuff that just wouldn't translate well to somebody just watching it on the screen. So that's why I feel like, again, an Unreal Tournament, maybe a Halo would do a little bit much more better because things are a little bit more uniform there and a little bit much more straight straight ahead and it comes down more to the strategy and stuff rather than just the meta of choosing different characters or all these other factors that get influenced into the big pot of whatever's supposed to happen so if i had to choose it, it would be those cool um i was expecting you to say uh splatoon um i'm surprised but uh yeah <laughs> those are good picks yeah um splatoon's yeah. a good pick though Especially for family friendly and everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, I would say, you know, maybe have three games, you know, even. So, like, you know, you can have your games like Splatoon, which is just like, you know, family friendly and accessible to everyone. Um, and then, you know, have one kind of, um, 
one like Street Fighter or something like that that people can identify with and then have a really complicated type game as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of possibilities there. Uh, I, I definitely want to hear more thoughts from the people as well. Um, you know, and what they think should be included and also what they think of esports in the Olympics in general. But, um, definitely some good talking points brought up here, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, any final thoughts on uh, gaming in the Olympics before we end off? I think I'm good. Alright. Cool. So, yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We need to get to our shout outs now. Um, go ahead, Dana, you first. I want to shout out to all of the listeners and everyone that's, you know, enjoying the show and shout out to this lovely holiday that we have in America and help everyone gets enough rest and relaxation and that you're prepared for the days ahead. Indeed. And you, Max? Uh, yeah, as always, thanks everyone in the chat for participating. You know, we saw Reggie, we had Mark in there, we got Fergus for a bit, which was really cool. I think that was my first time ever really interacting with him. Um, we missed a few of the regulars, which is fine, because they always comment after the show. But um, we still had some really good discussion, and it's always good to be here. And I just love talking topics with you guys, you know, talking gaming every week. It's a nice, like, steady thing to look forward to each week, you know. It's really, it's a really good time every week, and it's just awesome that you guys kind of allow us to do this every week. Yeah, definitely, I agree. And big shouts to Fergus, Fergus Mills, for joining us today as well. Uh, he, you know, he used to be part of the coalition, so big shouts to that guy. Um, so JJ, uh, before you give your shouts, we did have a, a question here for you from from Reggie. Um, he asks, why not Smash Brothers in the Olympics? Because, number one, I feel like it's not as complex of a game, like as far as like back and forth wise, that could work well in that type of setting. Again, if you look at the commentary for Smash Brothers and you look at the, the meta game and everything else that gets influenced into the, the game that is Smash Brothers, and I don't mean just one game, I mean just all the different games when you look at them as a whole, it just wouldn't translate well. I mean, this is why when I say the FGC and stuff, uh, this is why I never mentioned games like Tekken. That's why I don't think I would mention games like uh, Guilty Gear or uh, Marvel because things just get a. They, while they are exciting to watch and they are great for people that are fans of it, you have to keep in mind for a place like the Olympics, there's people that are that are going to be watching that or people that are going to be investing time into it that don't know about anything of these games, and it's a little bit harder for them to kind of get into it when things are a little bit overly complex or things are way too much for them that to be overbearing. So I don't think Smash Brothers would work. At least Street Fighter is a lot more one-to-one, a little bit more straightforward than that game is. Despite it being a party game also. Cool. Hopefully uh, that's a suitable answer for Reggie. Reggie, let us know your thoughts on that. But go ahead and give your shout-outs, JJ. 
Uh, yeah, just shout out to everybody that's been watching the stream, watching the podcast. Shout out to everybody leaving comments on all the articles, all the features we've been posting up, all the reviews we've been posting up. Again, we got a lot of good ones coming very, very soon. This week, even, and into next week, because like I mentioned before, I'm doing the review for Metroid Samus Returns. We're going to be doing the review for Destiny very soon. There's a lot of big stuff on the way. And then that's not even counting any of the other big releases we got coming along the way. Uh, I also do want to give a couple big shout outs to some people that uh, were, were part of some content that i did recently if you guys haven't already i really implore you to to check out the what is it the tk spotlight series that i've been doing uh, i have to give a big shout out to andrea renee for for chatting it up with me andrea renee from what's good games who also does stuff on the kind of funny daily show she chatted it up with me for around 20 or so minutes that's episode two of tk spotlight that you guys definitely should go check out and also to malik forte malik forte the other day uh did the episode of uh, tk spotlight with me and we talked for like almost close to an hour about different stuff. We covered all types of topics. We covered uh, gaming. We covered working in the industry. We talked about minorities in gaming. A whole bunch of stuff that you guys should definitely watch, definitely listen in on when you can. And also, I'm able to at least talk about this now and I can announce because it's confirmed, but we just haven't figured out the day that's going to happen. But the next guest that I'm going to have on TK Spotlight is going to be G4 alumni and person that's over at uh, Electric Playground, uh, Victor Lucas. He's going to be my next guest on a TK spotlight. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be interesting. Hopefully me and him could have a cool conversation that you guys can enjoy, but let me know what's up in the comments. Tell me, you know, who exactly else you guys want me to go to, to ask to be on the show. So I want this to be something special. I want this to be something different and unique that you guys are going to enjoy, but there's my shout outs. Thank you to everybody. And shout outs to the patrons too. Got to shout out the patrons for lending their support on everything. We appreciate you guys. Yep, indeed. And I'm about to shout all the patrons right now. So shouts to M. Collins, Sean Gorty, Stephen Ferron, Mauricio Aguilar, Himdil, Fergus Mills, Lelowin Leslie, Nicholas Alvarez, Miguel, and Mark, our new um, patron. So yeah, shouts to all you guys. Thanks for supporting us. Uh, we're working on, you know, more content that will be, you know, exclusive for the patron people. Uh, there'll be more giveaways in the future also so look out for that and um just to let everyone know the first edition of ask tk did release and it was myself you know on there um but i also want to announce that you know the next person that's going to be featured on ask tk is going to be mr tony polanco and um you know by the time this is up on the site on monday um, there will be a post there where you guys can send your questions, you know, for Tony and, you know, then he'll, you know, we'll, at the end of the week, he'll record and, you know, answer all questions and everything like that. So look out for more details on the website on where you can submit your questions for him. Um, for those that don't know, Ask TK is like our AMA, you know, platform where each of the staff members is going to get their, their turn to answer questions from you guys, the listeners and, everybody you know affiliated with uh, the coalition so look out for that and thanks to everyone who joined us in the chat today um we're sorry for the technical difficulties today and everything like that but um i hope you guys enjoyed the show and i do want to say that we are missing mr richard bailey jr you know um he definitely does a great job hosting and i never truly appreciate it until i have to host myself you know he's a great host of this show so can't wait to have him back next week but yeah shouts to richard and we can't wait to hear about his experience you know um in pax west 
So thanks for joining us, people. Hope you enjoyed the show. Peace.